Jesus, we love you. Oh, we love you. We love you, God, from this place. We're grateful for two and a half years. We are grateful, God. Lord, I'm asking that you would release your spirit on us, on this house, that you would come. You'd wash over us. You'd proclaim your name in the midst of us. Come, Holy Spirit. We want revelation of your heart, Father. We want revelation of your emotions. Thank you for divine attentiveness. God, I pray you'd break in with light. Break in with light. Thank you, God, for two and a half years. Thank you for that time you've given us in this house. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We are grateful. We are grateful for night and day prayer in Atlanta. We're grateful. Release revelation of your emotions tonight, God. Do all that you wish to do. for a moment.
Come, Holy Spirit. Even more powerfully now, Lord, come. love to love you. We love to be loved by you. We love to love you. Release pleasure in you. of praises ringing songs of praises ringing hallelujah singing hallelujah singing 
Hallelujah.
Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Jesus. Spirit and the bride, we say, come. Spirit and the bride, we say, come. Let him who hears come. Let all who thirst come. Take, drink of the living water without charge. emotions we want to know the emotions of the uncreated God we want to know the way you feel the way you think and more than your acts though they are wondrous we want to know your ways the way that you move the way that you think, the way that you speak, the way we want to know your ways, the ways of the Lord. A 
I pray you'd find us to be a community attentive to you, God. Attentive to your wooings. Attentive to your movings. Attentive to your ways. We are in love with you, Jesus. Father, we are in love with your Son. Abba, we are in love with you. We love your Spirit. We love you, God. We love you. We love you. Let the love of God be our banner. Let it be our portion. Let your love be our feast. Let us know the greater love that your Son has for us. Rest on us tonight, Lord. Rest on us. I think we'll go ahead and move forward. Let's turn over to Matthew 22. Somebody thinks, you know, well, what was that about? I don't know. Probably one of you guys is praying, Lord, if you love me, make him stop for 15 minutes. And there it is. But I feel the Lord. Matthew 22, we are on our um, seventh part of the series we've been doing on the Father Heart of God. And it's been a wonderful time, good journey. I think I'm going to end it next week in our, in our new facility. Our first meeting there will be on who God is as a father. I think that's a good idea. I think it probably is the Lord that it landed that way. I don't tend to, you know, say, well, I'm going to do a series and it'll be this many messages. I just kind of find my way through it and then if it's three weeks, it's three. If it's eight, it's eight. If it's six, it's six. However it lands, it lands. But um, I feel like we'll we'll finalize it next week. Our first service in our new facility, I think it's a prophetic something, something that the Lord would have us to proclaim his nature, his name, our first service in the new place. Matthew 22, verse 2, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Just read that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who was arranging a marriage for his son. I love this verse. This is the story of all creation. 
what is this thing about? What is, why was I created? Because there is a good king. There is a good king. He's a good father. And he is arranging a marriage. He's old-fashioned. He's arranging a marriage for his son. His eyes are looking to and fro throughout all creation of those who be willing partners for the man Christ Jesus. His son is the most desirable of all. In fact, his son's nickname is the desire of all nations. And this good king has put out an invitation. Who would love to be married to my son, the one who's the desire of all nations? These verses, this verse, it's the, it is the story of why you're alive. It's the story of why he stretched out the heavens. It's the story of why he took dirt and breathed life into it. Because there's a good king who's arranging a marriage for his good son, the prince of the kingdom. That good king, his name is the eternal father, and that son, his name is Jesus. And that father has been looking continuously. I like how Jesus said it in John 5. He says, uh, until now my father is working and I am working. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the marriage. Because my father has been working in all creation and he is readying a bride one who will be joined to me for my delight. That's the idea. The eternal father is continually working in your life. And he's, what's he doing? He's bringing you to a place of being a comparable uh, spouse, a comparable one for his son. He's making you a worthy partner. And we don't understand the, the many uh, varied ways the Lord leads our lives. There's so many different facets and challenges and trials and ups and downs. And I tell you, he in, you know, there's things that bring pressings. And in kindness, He brings a pressing to expose you to yourself. So that the issue of your heart that is incongruent with His own nature can be exposed, identified, and departed from. Why? Because He's got a good son that He wants to marry you to. The story of all creation is this romance. It's in the heart of the Father. He wants to marry us to His Son. He's looking for a worthy partner. He's raising up a bride through all creation and you and I are part of it. It's a shock. It doesn't even seem real. In fact, it seems too good to be true. I was thinking this week about the ridiculous gift of forgiveness. God takes the one that's completely wicked and different, totally separate from himself, and in an instant, he imparts something as ridiculous called forgiveness. I mean, the God who is surrounded with mercy looks at the one who is, I mean, the murderer. I mean, the, the one that's, you know, perverse in every way. And he, he offers him a free gift, this ridiculous gift called forgiveness. He buys this thing with blood. 
Ah. And you and I get to step into this thing called forgiveness, the cleansing of our sin, imputed righteousness. He goes, you know what? All your uh, attempts to be righteous, he goes, it's filthy rags before me, but I've got something that works 100% of the time instantaneously, the blood of my perfect son. And the Father has been working from the beginning of creation to raise up a bride, a, a worthy partner for the man Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you, when you will get the lens that this entire existence is about a wedding, it is about this good king who knows how to throw a party, beloved. He knows how to do a wedding. One of our friends got married this past weekend. They had like 25 bridesmaids and 25 groomsmen. It was like off the charts. I tell you, what will it be like when the angels stand as witnesses 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, and they're not bridesmaids and groomsmen, but they're witnesses, and the array, the vast array of the heavenly hosts stand at attention in awe as the bride is ushered down the aisle to join, to be joined eternally with the man Christ Jesus. Come on. This is good. It is the story of all creation. The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king, a certain really good king who is arranging a marriage for his really, really good son. And you and I somehow have gotten in on this. Oh. It's the reset button. I'll tell you, when you get burnt, when you get tired, when you get weary, when you are wondering, why am I doing this? Press reset and go and read Matthew 22 too. It's all about a wedding. When the pressing seemed too hard to stomach, when the trials seemed just a little bit too hard to bear, when you're being exposed everywhere, when you're being humiliated, when you're being humbled down to ashes, when all of your flesh is being incinerated, press reset. Look at Matthew 22, 2 and go, what's going on? He goes, I am in love with you. And I'm trying to arrange a marriage for my perfect son. It's all about a romance. And our father, he's a romantic. Our good Abba, he knows how to throw a wedding. He's not leaving any details out. He is preparing a wedding and he is preparing a bride. He is the one that's preparing the bride, the father. He's, he's drawing us to his son. He's introducing us to Jesus. And he's preparing us by getting us in touch with the emotions in his son's heart. It's a shock, but that's, I'm, I'm trying to give you this. The last several weeks, but we've been working on the one foot view of the uh, father's heart. We've been dialing it in on how does it affect you. I want to give you the 10,000 foot view tonight. 
I want to get you the eternal purpose. I want you to see who the father of all creation is. I want to see how you fit in this ridiculously amazing tapestry called the kingdom of God and the workings of the father. How you land right in there and what is he doing? I tell you, he's preparing you. He's preparing you to join you with his son. Turn over to Ephesians 3. You could just say Matthew 22 too all night. You could just say it over and over and over all night and then we could say amen and go home and it would be like, yes. It's a good king. It's preparing a marriage. There's a good king. There's a good king. Preparing a marriage for his son, for his son, for his good son. You could just go off on that. It's a story of all creation. I want to draw your attention to verse 11 in Ephesians 3. Paul, in verse 8 through 10, discusses a mystery that's been made known to him, and it's this, that God would manifest through the church his wisdom and use the church as a proclamation of God's wisdom and power to demon authorities in the heavenly places. God uses people to shut down demons. Think about that. God doesn't even have to fight. He absolutely fills human vessels, dirt. We are dirt with spirit of God blown in us. And he uses us to take demons out. Go ahead. That's the the mystery Paul's talking about. That we be a testimony. And he explains it in 8 through 10. And 11, he says, it's according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. It's the cross, it's the blood of the cross, it's the redemption, it's what we just talked about for a moment. And in verse 12, he continues on the same thought, and I like how the NIV, the NIV wins on this one. It says, in him, and through faith in him, in Jesus, and through faith in Jesus, you got to think of it, it's according to the eternal purpose that was in God's mind, in Jesus, and according to faith in Jesus, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Here's what the father said. He goes, I have an idea. I am going to, I want to make a whole race that will be able to approach me with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. And in an instant, I mean, God sees, you know, yesterday, tomorrow, a million years each direction. He sees them, you know, instantaneously. You know, I don't even know if he really gets ideas. He just has them. He knows all that it will cost, all that will happen. He knows the darkness that will, will, will uh, erupt as a matter of man's sin and his choice to do evil. He gets the whole picture. And in an instant, God says, there's an eternal purpose. And here's what I will do. I will buy their freedom and confidence to approach me. I will buy it. My own arm will bring salvation. And he begets the son, the uncreated God and the uncreated son. Jesus wasn't born. He was begotten. He came from inside the father, but he was begotten. He wasn't born. He wasn't created. He was begotten. It's a completely different idea. He is co-existent with God, co-equal with God the father. And the son becomes the sacrifice. And so through Jesus and in Jesus, 
the Father then has the opportunity for us to come near him with confidence and freedom. The eternal God, holy, I mean, he is the definition of holy. Holiness doesn't describe him. He describes holiness. The one that when you see him, if you see him through the flesh, you die. That holy God, he's beauty and he's, he's, he's beautiful and he's terrible and he's terrifying and he's wonderful. That God goes, I want them to freely have access to me. And not that they would have access and cower their way in and, oh, I can't look, it's, light, it's bright, but that we would have confidence and walk right into unapproachable light. How do you do that? How do you walk into unapproachable light? I don't know, but he made the way through the blood of Jesus. He goes, there's an eternal purpose. He goes, I've got this thing. It's called love. My heart is burning. And I must love. Love isn't just an idea that's something about me. It's a verb that I must express. He goes, and I must be able to express my very nature to ones who can say no. Because if they can't say no, they're nothing more than robots. And that's not love. He goes, so I'll give them choice so I can love them completely. And he sees the whole thing all at once. And he goes, my son will be the sacrifice and he'll be the way. I will make the one who is the priest also the one who is on the altar. The father goes, Jesus is the one who gives blood that makes a way for everyone else, but he's also the priest that officiates the whole thing. And so then, so Paul's got the picture. I mean, Paul, like, he went away and he came back and Peter goes, he's talking about stuff that we have a hard time even following. And Paul gets the picture and he's explaining that there's this eternal purpose in the heart of the Father and it's this, that he wants you and I to be able to approach him, that he wants us to be able to approach the Father with confidence and freedom. Free in heart. I mean, how often have we approached God in prayer? I mean, we know he allows us in, but we sort of feel like the kid who stole something every time we come. It's like, I mean, just hard sometimes to get past everything we know in our, in our mind. He goes, well, here's what I'll do. My son will shed his blood and it will cleanse their consciences from evil works so that they can have confident access by faith. And he gives us the opportunity to stand in his presence through in him and through him, free in heart, Free in heart and confident. Oh, that's good. And then Paul goes on. He goes in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father. From whom the whole family, and Paul's giving us a hint right there. What's the Father doing? He goes, I bow my knee to the Father. From whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Here's the deal. You might have a loved one that passed. 
in the Lord. You might have one that has passed and gone on to be with the Lord. And we know that we experience the suffering of their passing in this life. We experience the grief of not having their nearness. But from heaven's vantage point, we're all one family. He sees us together. We're in a minute on this life. We're just a minute separated on, in this life. Just for a minute. And, but from God's vantage point, he goes, the family's in heaven and earth. That family's all together. The family's all together. Right now, we're just in two different places. In a minute, we're all together. The father doesn't see it as, oh, that's the group that's there. He goes, no, it's the family in heaven and earth. One group. He goes, I bow my knee to the father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he might grant you according to the riches of of his glory. So Paul goes, I'm asking the Father to give the church something from the riches of the Father's glory. Now, <laughs> the language is flowery, so we stumble over it a minute, but wh- how rich is the glory of the eternal Father? How rich is it? According to the riches of the glory of the eternal Father. That God, he's saying, I want God to reach into his riches and give you of his own glory. And I think of glory, I, and I just can't get over. You know, I, 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 I've meditated on how, how big the, the universe is. And, and how, how many stars there are and how much power there is and all that God, all the wonders of God. But when I heard that God's glory was more than His power and more than His wonderful works, but His glory was that which was the most precious thing to Him, it was His thoughts and feelings in His heart. I went, oh my gosh. God's reaching into His own emotions. The most dear thing to him, the most secret thing to him. And he's reaching into the riches of his emotions for me. And he's giving them to me. What? That I'd have might in my inner man. How does that happen? Because he gives me the riches of his glory. The riches of his emotions get imparted to me. And my inner man, my soul gets strong when I realize he likes me. The riches of his glory, I mean, one feature of it is God's pleasure over humankind. The Father's sweetness over you. So many facets to the riches of his glory, but he reaches and he goes, Paul says, I want to ask the Father to give you according to the riches of his glory Strength and might through his spirit in your inner man. Why? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's again, it's the father saying, I'm trying to introduce you to my son. He is the way. And he goes, and this is how I want it to happen. I want you to be so allured with the love of my son that you will absolutely be fascinated with the way that my son feels about you. 
Because I want emotions from my heart to draw you in, and I want to introduce you to my son who is absolutely crazy about you. That you might know the love of Christ. He goes, that Christ may dwell in your faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Here's what the Father's doing. He's got an eternal purpose. It has to do with his family. He understands man is separated, helplessly, hopelessly separated from him in sin. So what does he do? He sacrifices his own son. He makes his son the blood sacrifice and the priest of that covenant. He makes the way through Jesus. And here's what he does. He goes, I will join them with with my son so I can be joined to them. Huh? Huh? Oh. I'm going to join them to my son. I will beget him and I will make him all God and all man and I will find a worthy partner for my son. And the way that I'll draw them in, he goes, I've got a plan. I'm going to draw them into the love of my, uh, to my son by manifesting to them his love. I'm going to allure them with love. I'm going to fascinate them with love. I'm going to draw them with love. It's going to be height and width and depth and length. Four dimensions. How does that work? How does four dimensions work? We've got three dimensions in this realm. Anybody that does graphic design knows you draw in three dimensions. But God goes, I'm going to mess them up. I'm going to give them four dimensions of love. The height, the width, the depth, the length. I'm gonna, oh. What's he saying? Is I'm going to overwhelm their senses when they comprehend the way my love, my son's love is for them. They are going to be absolutely allured to Jesus. And I am looking for ones that will be drawn to my son because of his love. And I will join them. He goes, so that this can happen, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God? Wait, wait. Filled with all the fullness of the Father. I'm joining you to Jesus so that I can fill you with all that I am. The Father has an idea. It's called an eternal purpose. Filled with all the fullness. So, in this age, I believe filled with all the fullness looks like spirit possession. I mean, it looks like Holy Spirit filling you completely through and through. I believe there's a place you can go in this age where you are so given over in your will to the, to the will of God that the Holy Spirit has filled you completely and is, uh, is completely moving through you and you are absolutely operating 100% in a, in a state of uh, led by the Spirit of God and possessed by that very same Spirit. I think there's some men that have tapped into that reality it becomes miracles on demand 
It becomes signs and wonders everywhere. It becomes love to the uttermost. It becomes a given life. It becomes a life laid down. And in this age, oh, the martyrs and the saints and those that have tapped into those realms, I believe they begin to touch what that means to be filled with all the fullness. But that's not where that thing ends. That doesn't end in this age. Filled with all the fullness is not just for this age. There's another age coming. And in that age, we are going to have this encounter. Our mortal, those of us who are born again in this age, our mortal will put on immortality. And our corruptible, our flesh that's corruptible will put on incorruptible. We are going to be changed. Beloved, we're not going to be fat babies floating around on clouds. We have a whole nother age in front of us of experience and, and taste and touch and feel just that, like Jesus had the glorified body and he came back. And one time John saw him and he had to fall at his feet as a dead man. And just the, next, the other time, you know, or before that, Peter saw him and he goes, is that you, Lord? And that glory of that glorified body, you have, you have Jesus showing up and he's moving through walls and he's moving at the speed of thought and all sorts of wilds and he gets to eat. Hallelujah. And so will we. Heaven without food is boring. But it's not just we go to heaven. Heaven's coming to earth. There's a thousand year reign where Jesus will be ruling on the planet. And in that day, we'll be married to the Son of God. We'll be living in an immortal state with glory resonating through us. And I tell you, in that age, that is filled with the fullness. But it's not it. That's not it. That's not all. It doesn't stop there. Are you guys ready to get tweaked? Because the Bible's pretty clear. There's a whole other order of things coming after that. Something after the millennium? Oh, yeah. It's in the scriptures. You want to see it? Let's turn over to Revelation 20. The story is so good, you don't have to make anything up. You just read the book and it's like, what is that? Unbelievable. So if you read it in chronological order, you understand Revelation 20. You just read it through. You've got it. It's in time. It works straight through and it begins and it keeps going. You know, we didn't have chapter breaks. When John was on the Isle of Patmos and he's having this radical quiet time. I mean, he's having the best quiet time ever. And he's right. He wasn't going, oh, that's a really good spot for a chapter break. Yeah, chapter 21, sweet. He's writing. In fact, if you study the Joe and I writings, John's writings, you'll find that he literally wrote Revelation in it's like his version of shorthand. He didn't write it in the prose that he wrote his letters in and that he wrote his gospel in. He wrote it as fast as he could because this thing is going off in front of him. And he's in awe at points. He's sitting there with his chin on the floor going, and the angel goes, hey, John, write. And then the one time, Revelation 10, John's going, I'm going to write these things. The seven thunders, they utter their voices. They're saying things that John understands. He goes, sweet, I'm going to write that down. The angel goes, stop writing. He goes, oh, the mysteries. They're sealed until the time of the end. So Revelation 20, we have the great white throne judgment. 
And we have all the dead. This is after the millennium. This is after the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. In verse 11, it says, I saw a great white throne. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. The earth and heaven flees from the face of the one on the throne. And I saw, so we got to think, think about that. The earth and the heaven, they flee. So, okay, so let's just keep that in mind. It says, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone who is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we have a complete judgment. You have those that were alive on the earth at the end of the millennium. Those have been unrighteous dead from the ages. And they all get judged, those whose names were not written in the book of life. And they're all cast in the lake of fire. Okay, those that did not know the Lord, if their names were not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, at that point in time, they get cast into, into the lake of fire for eternity. It's a fearsome, fearsome few verses. So let's act like there's not a, cap, a chapter break. Now, look at this. This is after the great, great white throne judgment. This is where we mostly just go tilt. Uh, couldn't mean what it says, but it says what it says. Now, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So, I want to tell you, there's a new earth coming after the millennium. John saw it. And I don't know, I guess the Lord doesn't like sharks because there's no sea on this new earth. There is a new earth coming after the thousand year reign of Christ. In verse 2, he says, And I saw, look at this. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Wonder why he uses that language? Because the bride is in the new Jerusalem. If you don't have a city without any people in it, the people are what makes the city. If everybody gets blown up in the geographic place where Jerusalem is, if that place goes, Jerusalem's not there anymore because there's no people in Jerusalem. You get it. The people that are in the city make the city. The reason why he calls the new Jerusalem like a bride adorned for her husband is because the bride is in the city. It's where we live. It's a 1,500 mile, long and wide, glorious, beautiful thing. You know, the guy gets married... And he gives his wife, you know, a carrot. Everybody wants to give her, you know, their, their, their bride a carrot. If we can just give her a carrot, oh, just be good. You know, the guy that's just, just rich everywhere, he's just five carrots. God goes, I'll do you one better. 1,500 mile by 1,500 mile, that's the diamond I'm giving to my bride. It's called the New Jerusalem. That's a pretty good size ring. Shining like a jasper. It's just a diamond. It's a diamond with a green hue. That's a huge ring. It's a rock. And the bride lives there. But that thing comes out of the heavenly realm and it comes down 
Huh. Down out of heaven. Huh. Down to where? The new earth. It's going to land. Yeah. It's coming down out of the heavenly realm. It's going to land on the new earth. Okay. The plot thickens. In verse 3, look at this. And I heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And the NIV wins on that one again. It says the old order of things has passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. These verses have become some of the greatest motivators to my heart. See, we have this picture of just sort of dying and everything just sort of ends in some cloudy sort of wispy existence. But God is fully about merging the two realms. He is going to merge the natural and the spirit realm together. He is going to merge time and eternity together. Beloved, I'm trying to get you uh, to see a vision of something. This thing goes on for quite some while. There's a whole other age coming for a thousand years where the man Christ Jesus will rule on the earth. And then after that, there's a whole new earth coming. And after, on that new earth, the tabernacle of God comes to be with us. You said, I I thought we were in the New Jerusalem. Well, you are. What do you mean? Well, I don't know how it goes, but there is somehow still, even in the next age, a veil. But after that, he removes that veil and he dwells with men forever. And it's just, it boggles my mind because he, the Father begins to reveal his nature in a whole nother way we've never considered. He is the one who wipes away the tears from every eye. From every eye. I was meditating on that this week and I was thinking about it. You know, we go through things in this life that cause our hearts pain. We go through things that cause turmoil and pressure and challenges to us. And while those things are fully handled by God, he knows the answer before we even pray. He's already got the the, the resolution to that thing that's causing us pain. He's already got it answered. And he, he, he releases that answer to us. We still process the human side of it, don't we? You have a loss. You have a challenge. You have a trial. There's pain in your heart. You still process the natural thing. And God gives us this unique mechanism. He calls it tears. And we use tears to process our emotions, don't we? 
And we use all sorts of stuff. We use hugs. And we use laughs. And prayer. And talking. And we process through the emotional things that cause our hearts pain. The answer is 100% handled. God's got the answer. But we work through things. And it takes time, doesn't it? Well, on that day, God starts... He shows us firsthand who he is, who he's always been. And he reaches down and he, he wipes away every tear. He says, you know these tears that you've been shedding your whole life? There's no more need for those. Because that sorrow that your heart has felt, the challenges and the pains turmoils and the pressings and the trials he goes there's no more need for sorrow he goes the crying you won't need to use crying anymore and the reason why is because I'm taking away all the pain not just the pain in our hearts but everything that would cause pain I'm removing it Can I tell you something? The Father is the one who wants to remove all the pain. It's who he's always been. It's been his eternal purpose. When he's talking about the eternal purpose in Ephesians 3, when he's trying to get us introduced to Jesus, trying to show us the love of Jesus, trying to get us on the way, on the path to be with him, it's unto this that he could be the one that would reach across your face, touch your cheek, and move every tear out of the way forever. There's another order coming where the eternal Father will dwell with us. He will be our God and we will be His people. All the veils go away and we get into this thing called divine disclosure. The God who inhabits eternity, Isaiah 58 says it that way, but I believe eternity inhabits him. It's a both-and reality. That God who is mysterious beyond description, that God who dwells and wraps himself with light as a garment, in that day, that Father is going to dwell with us and disclose himself to us completely. first thing he's going to do is take all the pain out of the way. All the sorrow is going to go. All the tears, all the crying. It all goes away. He wipes them from your face and he merges the realms so that he can be with you. He goes, the former things have passed. The old order, the way things used to be are no longer because God is dwelling with men. God is with us. And then he makes everything new. It's all new then. God the Father dwelling with his people and when he's making all things new, I tell you, (laughs) the tender, loving, Caring, wonderful, playful, 
good father is going to be completely disclosed to us. He goes, you will be my sons. You will be my children. I think we've sold God short. I've had some really intense, fun, amazing wrestling matches with my children. I mean, like, guys, what do y'all want to do tonight? We want to wrestle! I'm like, okay. I've been in travail for the last six hours, but okay. And I'll go in there and I'll get on my knees. And I'm getting drop kicked and karate chopped from every angle. And they're running at me and they, they never come at me from in front because they know I grab them. They just spear me from the back. And I'll be down on the ground and their new thing is to jump up in the air and land with both knees in my ribs. I mean, they just, they know how to bring it. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not joking around. When I got a bloody lip from the four-year-old, I knew it was going to be serious from there on out. And the glee that they experience. Ah, I love it. It's good. Ah. And I'll be on the ground. I'll just let them pound on me for a while. And I'll, I'll try to act like I'm dead. I'll just throw, it, you know, I'll throw my tongue out of my mouth. And they'll be going, he's not dead. And they'll, he's not dead. Watch this. And they'll go to me and they'll, they'll, they'll slap me right in that little fat back part. Smack, smack, smack. It really stings. I'm like, oh, I knew it. I knew he wasn't dead. And they squeal with glee. And I love it. And they love it. And why did he give us fathers again? To testify of his own nature. I'm telling you, he is going to be playful. He is going to torture you with tickling. <laughs> and all sorts of stuff that you and I can't even think about. We don't even know where this is going, beloved, but it's going on for a while. And he gives us a whole planet with no sea so we can keep playing chase all day long. <laughs> What's he doing? He goes, I really, really liked it when me and Adam would walk in the garden together. Just walk around in the cool of the day experiencing one another what's he doing he's making all things new he's getting rid of the old order and he's setting it up so that we can have uninhibited unhindered fellowship with him completely once again he restores in a hundred percent fashion all of the negative effects of the fall completely restores them so that we fellowship with him continually. The tabernacle of God is among men. I want to propose to you. Revelation 19.7 Behold, the bride has made herself ready. I want to propose to you that that's the mission statement of the Son. The Son of God says, Yes, I am waiting for the day that my bride is ready and will be joined forever. But I want to say this, that Revelation 21.7 is the mission statement of the Father. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. 
I will be his God and he shall be my son. He's always, always wanted to play with you and hold you and be close with you. He's never wanted a veil. And I'll tell you, my father, Jesus says it, my father is working to get rid of every veil. Beloved, this thing's going on for a while and you're going to experience God in so many facets and measures. It will take us eternity to get to know him. This is our father. This is what he's thinking about right now. He's going, I cannot wait. I cannot wait until you and I are joined without any veils. He wants to disclose his father's heart to us and he wants us to live forever. The, the son wants a bride, but you know what? The father wants a family he wants a family and that's the eternal purpose that he's working in Christ he wants you he wants a family it's good let's just stand I'm just gonna skip inherit all things I mean, what is that? Some of y'all have a you know, great aunt or great uncle that passed and you got $5,000 and you felt great about it. God goes, well, you know what? I'm actually, I've made you an heir of everything. Well, what do you mean everything? Oh, everything. Romans 80 says, Will he not freely with his son give you all things? Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? How wonderful are you, Father? What's your heart towards us? Would you reveal some of the riches of your glory? Would you take us in to that relationship, God, that we experience in part in this age and a greater measure in the next? Oh, we want to know you, Abba. Oh, we want to know you. We want to know you.